You can go ahead and open your Bibles to John 8. We're going to be looking at the second half of this chapter, starting in verse 31. Last week, if you were with us, we, we looked at this first, first section of John 8. On the heels of the Feast of Tabernacles, where the Jewish people are remembering God's past deliverance and, and provision and guidance, Jesus announces to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Amidst growing opposition in Jerusalem, we saw how Jesus roots, roots this claim of being the light in the world in His authority as God's Son and His authenticity of His character. Because Jesus is who He says He is, the way we view our circumstances changes. Because Jesus is the light of the world, everything changes. By believing in Jesus, the light of life shines into our darkness and changes everything. He is our hope. At the end of this passage that we looked at last week, verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And what we're going to be looking at today is Jesus turns to address those that have, have believed in him through the rest of this chapter. Here Jesus shows in this passage what it means to be a true disciple. Jesus isn't interested in impressing any, anyone in the world. Jesus isn't interested in, in numbers. He's not interested in, let me have as many converts as I possibly can. Jesus is interested in genuine faith. And what we see Jesus address as he describes to us what a disciple is, what a disciple looks like, he goes after fickle, insincere faith. So today, that's what we're going to be looking at. We're, we're going to look at this last half of the chapter and see that true disciples are marked by unending trust in the unchanging one. True disciples are marked by unending trust in the unchanging one. And I've quite creatively titled this message, The Mark of a True Disciple. Our only hope yesterday, today, and tomorrow is in the Jesus, in the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we've already been singing about this one. Our minds are full of the greatness of this one. This one is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now of all that John could have included in his gospel, of all that he saw as his disciple, John chose to include this interaction. And he chose to include this interaction to show us, as he says later in, John, in his gospel, that Jesus Christ, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, we may have eternal life. That's why He includes this. So we're going to read this passage together. Every Sunday we gather, we want to be a people of the Word. We want to be a people marked by the Word of God. I came across this quote earlier this week that just helped, helped drive home the significance of the Word. Listen to this. The words of the Bible, the words that you hold in your hand, These are the very words of our Creator speaking to us. Our Creator. They are completely truthful. They are pure. They are powerful. They are wise and righteous. We should read these words with reverence and awe and with joy and delight. Through these words, through these words, God gives us eternal life and daily nourishes our spiritual lives. When we read from this book what we're about to do, it's God speaking to us today. Let's read together. 
John 8, verse 31 and following. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, the many who had believed, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you, not cannot, because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray. Father, we come before your word as sinners whose only hope is in this Jesus, is in this I am. And may we not be like the Jews who heard these words and picked up stones to throw at him. 
But may we have ears to hear and hearts that are soft to your truth. Lord, thank you that today, today, you are the same Jesus that spoke these words. And today, you have the power to set us free from our sin. So Lord, help me to be of benefit to these people that are gathered here. Help me to show them something of the glory that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This is a, it's a sobering passage. The big idea that we're after this morning is what, what true disciples are. True disciples are marked by unending rest and the unchanging one. And in order to see that, we're going to walk through this dialogue of, of Jesus and the Jews. And Jesus reveals the dangers of our fickle faith. He reveals our propensity to hope in something other than Jesus. So we're going to look at, th- we're going to look at three problems today. We're going to look at the problem with what we do, our actions. We're going to look at the problem with who we are, our heritage, and the problem with how we think. By looking through these three lenses, we will see that like the Jews that Jesus is addressing, we have nowhere to turn but to Jesus. He is our hope. And we will see that, that genuine faith, true faith, to be a true disciple is to be rooted and sustained by Jesus. So number one, verses 31 through 36, the problem with what we do. Our passage begins with Jesus turning to address those who had believed in him. You have to understand something about these people. They're on the heels of this this great feast that they celebrate every year, remembering God's provision, remembering that they are God's people, and they have He has protected them and preserved them. They are the chosen people of God. And they are they are the ones that God has said through Moses, these words that I command you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And these people, these Jews at this time, that's what they sought to live out. They meant to be people of the word. So when Jesus says to these people who have believed in him, when you, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, this wasn't really a problem for them. Abiding in his word, remaining in God's word, that's, that's what they did. But then Jesus said, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This became a problem. The Jews take serious issue with this because Jesus doesn't say that, well, if you abide in my word, you're true my disciples, and because you already do this, you are free. No, Jesus says, when you do this, you will be free. You will know the truth. This was highly offensive to the Jews. This, this got right at the heart of where their, their hope rested. And so they responded. They said, well, we've never been enslaved to anyone which is kind of a, a gross disregard of the facts, as, as one commentator said. They can hear the, the Roman soldiers marching through their city. But we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say we need to become free? These Jews didn't see that they had any problem. And how many of us have had conversations like this with those around us? We, we share the gospel. We hold out the hope of the gospel. They say, that's nice but I, like, I don't have a problem. I don't need to be set free. Or how many of you live nearby a family or you have a coworker who just seems to have it all together? They have, a, they have a nice house and they go on the best vacations and they have a happy family. I don't even know if I share the gospel with them, they'd even want to be free. I think they like what they have. 
Jesus isn't here to address what, what's perceived as physical freedom. Jesus is here for something much more profound and significant, and He wants to address our spiritual freedom, the spiritual bondage that we all face in our sins. So Jesus says here in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you. Let me just stop there. Truly, truly, I say to you. No one else talks like that. This word truly, truly, I say to you, it comes from what we use for amen. Amen, amen. So Jesus is prefacing his statement, amen, amen. He is saying, this is really important, and no one can make a claim like I'm about to make. There is no one. It's, when we say amen at the end of prayer, it's, it's, it's a kind of an affirmation of, yeah, so be it, Lord. So Jesus doesn't end his statements with this. He's starting his statements with this, and he's repeating it twice. It's a big deal. Truly, truly, there's no, there's no one else that talks like this. No one in Jewish tradition, biblical times, no one ever talked like this. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. To practice sin is to be in bondage to sin. We are all miserable sinners. The problem lies in, in what we do and how we act, what we the decisions we make day to day. And so when Jesus speaks of, of practicing sin, he's not talking about one act of sin. He's talking about the continuing state of sin that we are in. It's not a once in a while sin. It's a wrapped up in everything you do sin. Augustine, the fourth century Christian, said this about the misery of our slavery. Where can the servant of sin flee? Himself, he carries with him wherever he flees. He can't leave himself behind. An evil conscience flees not from itself. It has no place to go to. It follows itself. Yea, he cannot withdraw from himself, for the sin he commits is within. He has committed sin to obtain some bodily pleasure, but the pleasure passes away. The sin remains. What delighted is gone. The sting has remained behind. Evil bondage. This is our state. In our bondage, there is nothing that we can do to get out of it. On our own, we are trapped. But Jesus, in His mercy, says because of who He is as the Son of God, because of His status as Son, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. He has the merits, the privilege, the standing to free us. What hope there is for us here today in this statement. We don't need to be defined by what we do. We don't even need to try and place our hope in what we do because what we do can never save us. We don't need to be defined by the things that we avoid. For many of us, we like to think of ourselves as moral people. And I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't go get drunk and I don't commit adultery. Those things, not doing those things, not going to save you. But the Son can indeed set us free from our sin. And we can live in the good of that freedom right now, today. We'll get to the how that happens a little bit later. But first, let's see where this conversation goes. The Jews had mentioned, so we're going to get to number two here, the problem of, of who we are. The Jews had mentioned earlier that they were offspring of Abraham. They, they appealed to their heritage, their, their privilege in support of their freedom. And Jesus picks this up in verse 37 and concedes the point of their Lineage, I know that you're offspring of Abraham, but confronts that their hope is, is in a false place. Their hope cannot be in their lineage. Their hope should not be in blood. 
but it should be in something else entirely. So the Jews respond to this and, and say, Abraham is our father. Well, we have one father, even God. We are his covenant people. That's, that's all we need. We don't need anything else. But these people of all people, these, these people of, of the word of God, should have understood something about how God works. Even pointing to Abraham. Who chose Abraham? God chose Abraham. Throughout biblical history, we see the promises of God, the covenant of God, passed on from generation to generation. Not, not through blood, but through grace. God chose to bless Abraham and carry out that blessing through Isaac, not Ishmael. He chose to carry out that blessing through Jacob, not Esau. He chose to make David king, not any of his brothers. That's how, that's how God works. It's not about blood. It's not about heritage. It's about grace. It's about him, him choosing. So Jesus responds, pointing this out. It's not about your blood because you are known. Your heritage is known by how you treat me. You're known. And Jesus makes this damning statement. You are of your father, the devil. Yes, Jesus is telling these Jews that they are children of the devil. And you might be thinking, this, this just seems anti-Semitic. Like, we should not go here. This is not anti-Semitic. This is anti-sin and anti-devil. It is incredibly gracious because even here, as Jesus says this, he offers hope, both to the Jews and then to us today. Listen to what John Piper says, talking about this passage. Jesus is not addressing a Jewish problem, but a human problem. Woe to us if we do not see the Son of God at work like a doctor, diagnosing and exposing the horrific nature of our disease and our enemy, and offering Himself as the one cure in the world, even to those whom He knows will kill Him. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We have an enemy that is set to destroy us. More than that, we live under the dark, the dark power of this enemy. We have, as Ephesians 2 says, we have followed the course of this world, followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were dead in our sins. Through our sin we have hated and hated one another and been hated. In our sin we are dead and blind and deaf. At the end of verse 47, Jesus says, the reason why you do not hear the words of God is that you are not of God. Because of who we are in our sin... As children of the devil, we cannot even hear the words of God. No, our heritage is not going to save us. Our actions are going to be of no help. So let's see what the Jews did. Maybe we can go the way they did and respond like they did, which I think much of our culture has done. We can just deny that God really is who He says He is. We can turn the table on Him. If if God was really God, He wouldn't allow 9-11 to happen. If God was really God, He wouldn't allow my friend to pass away. If God was really God, He wouldn't send other people to hell. What God does that? We're going to turn to number three, the problem with how we think. The Jews, they understand what Jesus is saying. But they respond by placing their hope 
in their perception. They place their hope in how, how they think and accuse Jesus of being a Samaritan and a demoniac. And to, to accuse Jesus of being a Samaritan was the, the, the height of insults at that time. So they're saying, we are God's chosen people. The God of Israel would never come and speak to us like that. They are incensed, in and instead of accepting what Jesus is saying and what Jesus is offering, they trust their own thoughts and perception. This guy must be crazy. The Jews trust their ability to recognize the Messiah when he comes. This is a people that are built on this messianic hope. They are waiting for Jesus to come. And here he is standing in front of them. But he wouldn't talk to us like that. So he must be insane. Jesus stays true to what he's been saying all along. He's not this, in this to glorify himself. He is here to carry out the mission of his Father. He is the descent one, the Son of of God. And in the midst of this accusation of being a Samaritan and demoniac, in the midst of that, he responds still by offering hope. He says in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, very important statement, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He holds out, even in this moment, amidst his accusers, the promise of eternal life, if one but keeps his word. But do the Jews repent and believe and go home happy? No. No, they continue trusting their own perception and attacking the man and even more confidently than ever before. Now we know that you have a demon. Surely you cannot hold out the promise of life when everyone before us has died. Abraham died. The prophets have died. Everyone has died. You cannot speak like this. Once again, the Jews go to their, their human-originated, divinity-constraining boxes. You are not God. They want to shrink the Messiah into the categories that they've come up with. And we face this all the time. Ideas like, if God is love, then He would accept all people. Or, if God is love, then He would understand why I have made the decisions I made. Or if, if God is good, then I'm supposed to throw myself into this lifestyle and Jesus will have my back in it. These Jews, as we do today, want, want a cute, pocket-sized God that they can take with them, keep hidden when He's inconvenient, and pull Him out when it's helpful. Oh, yeah, God is love. Don't judge lest you be judged. But Jesus has been explicit throughout this conversation, revealing who He is. Even last week, we saw Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus can set us free, what he's just said. He is the one who keeps the Word of God. Think about that. He has never, ever sinned. Look back at verse 46. Jesus asks, Which one of you convicts me of sin? And there's silence. No one responds. It's incredible that no one responds. No one had ever seen him sin. But we can all put up a facade. We can all try and convince people we're a lot better than we really are. But Jesus was willing to make this statement. Jesus, who said he is truth, is willing to say and put himself out there, no one can convict me of sin. No one can point to their lives and make this statement. But this man... Charles Spurgeon tells a story 
of a man who came up to him telling him, I'm perfect, I've never sinned. So Spurgeon proceeded to stomp on the man's toe. The man yells and screams angrily at him. And Spurgeon responds saying, There, I told you, there's no such thing as perfection. None is blameless. There, there is no perfect person. Jesus isn't hiding who they are, and he's not hiding who he is either. This entire conversation, the Jews have held that their, their heritage and their actions and their, their thoughts in high regard, but, but really where they stick their flag is on Abraham. Abraham is the one of whom it was said in Genesis 15 that he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. We are children of Abraham. But look at what Jesus says to them in verse 56. Marvel at this. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus flips all of the hopes, all of the privilege that the Jews felt, flips it on his head. You all despise me? You want to kill me? Abraham hoped and longed for me. God, your Father, sent me. Jesus is saying that, that the day that you all have waited for, the day that you have longed for, the day of the Lord that we see all throughout the New Testament come up again and again, the day of the Lord, the, the coming of the Messiah, that day is this day. That day is my day. But the Jews disregard this. They try to rationalize Jesus. The Jews and their esteem of Abraham and their understanding of God's covenant promises, they didn't really have an issue with Abraham seeing the future. That, that wasn't a big deal to them. But for Jesus to put himself on the same level as them and say that the day that Abraham longed for was, was my day was insane to them. So they say, you are not yet 50 years old. How can you say that you've seen Abraham? They have no idea who Jesus is. Verse 58, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And we saw last week, Jesus gave two earlier statements hinting at his identity as God. Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, in chapter 8, verse 24. And then in chapter 8, verse 28, he says, then you will know that I am. This is what the Jews hear, heard. And then Jesus makes it all the more explicit. Before Abraham was, not I was, I am. He, this Jesus, was before all time. Before all time, the reigning king. This Jesus is through all time, the triumphant one. This Jesus will sit on his throne forevermore. He is the great I am. We're going to take, take a little foray back into the Old Testament in Exodus. Turn to Exodus 3 with me. When Jesus says that He is the great I am, when He says before Abraham was, I am, these words are the words of the ears. Exodus 3, verse 13. We're going to come back to John 8, so keep your finger there. Then Moses said to God, so God has just made himself 
revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush. And he calls people and delivers. So Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, the God of Israel, the God that the Jews have hoped in, the one they claim as their father. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. When Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, the Jews know exactly what he is saying. When we come to Jesus, there's only two ways that we can respond. You may be here not having placed your faith in Jesus, not having repented your sins and confessed the hope that you have in Jesus. You may see Jesus as a moral guy, a good teacher, a historic figure. But you can't accept Him as that when you hear the words that He says. He is either God or He is a blasphemer. There's not a middle road. There's not another option. The Jews, they took Him to be a blasphemer and sought to destroy their only hope for salvation. The one they had been longing for, they picked up stones to destroy how hopeless we are on our own. Salvation is standing in front of them and and they want to kill Him. The Jesus standing before them was the God who was and is and is forevermore. This is the God that we heard about earlier today from Isaiah 42. This is the God who set in heaven the stars. This is the guy who spoke and there was light. This God is the God that was in front of them. Listen to what what God says through the prophet Isaiah. And and let these words color your, your mind as you think about this statement, what Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Isaiah 41, 4. Who has performed and done this? Calling the generations from the beginning, I the Lord, the first and with the last, I am. Isaiah 43, I, I am the Lord, And besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work. And who can turn it back? Isaiah 46, 8-11. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. The world has never seen a man like this man. Jesus Christ The God-man, the Son of God is the Savior of the world. So if you have not seen Him for who He is, if you have not placed 
your trust in Him and instead placed it in your actions, replaced your hope in who you are or, or how you think, today can be the day of salvation for you. Turn to Him, repent, and believe in Him. Because of who Jesus is, we can hope in Him. He is not just the Messiah of 2,000 years ago standing around the temple in Jerusalem. He is our Savior today. And His Word which saves us, the Word that He calls us to abide in, back in verse 31, this Word is not, it's not His words. It's not everything He says, but it's His Word. It's all-encompassing. It's everything that He says, everything that He does, and everything that He is doing. This is the Word that we are called to abide in as His disciples. Our gospel, our gospel is not just a gospel for salvation. Our gospel is a gospel for life. We don't pick up and leave what Jesus has done for us when we repent and believe, but we take it with us every day of our lives. That's what it means to have, have unending trust in Jesus Christ. And we will be praising Him forevermore for what He's done. For all eternity, we will sing, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. So wherever you are, Today, make Him, make Him your hope. True disciples never move on from the hope of the gospel. True disciples never move on from the hope of the gospel. They abide, they continue, they remain in the Word of Christ. The totality of what Jesus has done through His life and death and resurrection is the good news that we place our hope in every day. So as those who have believed, who have genuinely believed, what does it look like to abide in His Word? How do we do this? Let me offer four things, which Grace Church, you model and you do so well. But just by way of reminder, number one, read His Word faithfully. Feast on it every day. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word of Christ. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Be like that man. One of the things that's most, most helpful is have a plan. Tomorrow, feast on God's word. But know what you're going to read. Uh, the, other, the other day we left church, and uh, my son, Corey, he's almost seven, he was carrying his Bible, dropped it accidentally as he was getting into the truck and, and gets in the truck and says, Dad, Dad, you wouldn't believe this. This is crazy. I was getting in and my Bible fell. And it fell. It didn't fall like this. It fell like this. And I looked and, and it said, One Kings. And so I think after I finished reading Mark, God wants me to read One Kings. <laughs> Don't be like that. God, God has something life for us on every page of this book. Every page. So don't limit yourself to one page of it. So read his word faithfully. I see uh, my, my father-in-law is here, Scott Simpson, and, and I so res- respect and appreciate how he, how he models this. He has suffered debilitating headaches for 40 years or so. And... Every time I have a conversation with him, it doesn't take long before it gets to God's Word. He abides in God's Word. That's where he finds his hope, and that's where he finds his rest. He bleeds Scripture. 
May we be like that. May we read His Word faithfully. Number two, remind yourself of His Gospel daily. Jerry Bridges says this, To preach the Gospel to yourself means that you continually face up to your own sinfulness and then flee to Jesus through faith in His shed blood and righteous life. Live in the good of this truth. Day after day, remind yourself, I have been forgiven by God. And that implies I am sinful and He is my Savior. One helpful way to do this is memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture that speaks to what God has done. Memorize Ephesians 2, 1-9. through Speaks of who we are in our sin, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love that He has shown us through Jesus Christ. Even when we were dead in our sin, He made us alive together with Christ. Meditate on that. Memorize that. Or passages like Titus 3, through 3-7, through or Isaiah 53, or Romans 8. The Bible is full of revelation of the hope that we have in Jesus. Remind yourself of His Gospel daily. Don't move on from it. Number three, reflect on His grace relationally. Reflect on His grace relationally. God has not set us out as Christians on our own, but has given us community and relationships that we can encourage one another and be reminded of all that God is doing and has done. There is something of God's grace and glory to be seen through all of our stories. So tell them. Talk to one another about them. Connect the dots what God has done and what He is doing. The other night we had uh, Brenda Schweitzer over for dinner and she just again and again and again would, would be telling a story. I was asking her a lot of questions about her life and, and all that she's been through. And she was always quick to point out God has just been so kind. And I see the sovereign hand of God in this. And God provided this. And I mean, I would have never thought it, but God did this and that. And it was so rich and so encouraging because it, it gave me a bigger view of who God is and what He's done. We limit ourselves quickly to just what we can see, but God is doing so much more than what is right in front of us. So reflect on His grace relationally. Have eyes to see where God is at work in you and those around you. And fourth, rest in His work eternally. When we see what Jesus Christ has done for us, when we see the hope that He provides through His obedience, through His death, through His his resurrection, we don't need to strive anymore. There is freedom and peace here. It's not about what you do or what you don't do. It's about what He has done. We don't need to live our lives comparing ourselves to the other people we see on Facebook, or the other people we see on TV. No, rest in what He has done. Be defined by what He has done for you through Jesus Christ. Are you willing? Are you willing to fully rest in what Jesus Christ has already done for you? There is freedom here. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Are you willing to fully depend on Him? Not on what you do, not on what, who you are, not on what you think. Depend on Him and cast yourself on Him. Your traditions aren't going to save you. Your religiosity is not going to set you free. Coming to church every Sunday does not provide a means of salvation. Your good intentions, they can't help you. Your good deeds, they won't qualify you. Only, only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus, the Son of God, can set you free.
Only Jesus, the light of the world, can overcome my darkness, can overcome your darkness. Only Jesus, the bread of life, can satisfy your desires. Believe this, church. Only Jesus, the fountain of living waters, can quench your thirst. Only Jesus, only Jesus, the great I am, not the one who was, but he who is yesterday, today, and forever. He is never changing, never failing. Only this God has the power to save. So turn to him. Rest in him. Trust in him. True disciples are marked by unending trust in the unchanging one. He is the great I am. So let's hope in him. Let's hope in him. Let me pray. Now, Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. And thank you that if we abide in your word, we will know the truth. And the truth will set us free. May we live in the good of that freedom today. And I pray that today, for those who haven't trusted in you, may it be a day of salvation for them. May you take that heart which is dead and may you give it life eternal. Thank you that you have the power to do this. And I pray for this church, Grace Church, that we would not move on from what you have done for us. May we live in the good of this truth every day. May we exercise unending trust as we face temptation this week, as we're disillusioned by the decision those around us make, as we are discouraged by the depravity of the world that we live in. May you be our unending trust. Thank you that you are the unchanging. I am. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.